This setup is not as genius as I thought it was. Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that chronicles Fearless Records' Punk Goes series to answer the age-old question, hell yeah or yeah nah. Look, I'm I'm happy that we have tried it. Yeah. We are, because it's a warm day and we don't have an air conditioner at the moment, we are recording in our living room. Yes. On the couch. Yes. Um... Holding the microphones. <laughs> Look, it's very DIY, which I think fits the vibe in general. Maybe I'll yep. lift my microphone up just to... There we go. You can also raise it up. so that Ooh, that's a good idea. Twist, twist the thing, the twist. black thing, this. Aha, uh-huh. yes. And then raise it up. All right. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> No, that's fine. I think that's this is this is Punk Goes Pod unplugged. Well, yeah, is, that's a good that's a good idea. Actually, which, I like that. Which is fitting considering that we're delving into the acoustic territory. Yes. This week's song, "Screaming Infidelities" by one Dashboard Confessional, which was then later covered on Punk Goes Acoustic Three by, you guessed it, Dashboard Confessional. As is the case for the acoustic series well as for now i'm gonna hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder how you're making out but as for me i wish that i was anywhere with anyone Looking at the um, recording interface, how do you talk so much louder than me? It's just it's all in the diaphragm, baby. Sure. I'm so- assuming. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why my voice carries. Does, isn't that a genetic thing? Like, don't males normally carry their voice a bit? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway. Lots lots of unknowns this week. Um a quick apology just for the patchy release schedule lately. Shit's tough. It's nearly the end of the year. Um, and everyone's tired, including us. Mm-hmm. And mostly including me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Shall we get into Dashboard? Yeah, let's go. So, Dashboard Confessional formed in Boca Raton, Florida in 1999. The band started as a solo side project for Further Seems Forever vocalist Chris Carabba the Rapper. Jesus. That's the only time I'll make that joke. Okay. 
Pirates of the Caraba left further seems forever. I swear just to God, if you do another David. one, I'm quitting this podcast. Rude, interrupting me. I don't care. I swear to God, take this at least semi-seriously. Chris Carabba left Further Seems Forever just before the release of their debut album, The Moon Is Down. So then, can you say that he was a member of it? Well, if he he recorded the vocals for it... Yeah, that's true, I guess. It's like, it was probably ready to release, and I don't know, maybe they had a fight or something, and he was like, you know what, fuck this, I've got a side project. Yeah, you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah, exactly. But if you if you get fired, then at least you get severance pay, so anyway. The band name comes from their song The Sharp Hint of New Tears off their debut album, The Swiss Army Romance. The lyric reads, On the way home, this car hears my confessions, I think I'll take the long way. Dashboard recorded the song Vindicated for the film Spider Man Two. The song plays during the film's end credits. Uh, this also helped gain them quite a bit of uh, positive attention as well. I'm sure it did. Yeah. That is a very good dashboard single. Yeah. It's also a very good Spider-Man movie. Yeah? Yep. You're not being facetious? It's genuinely good? No, Spider-Man 2 is leg- like legitimately regarded as one of the best Spider-Man movies. Maybe we can watch it tonight. Yeah. Cool. I don't know what on, but maybe we could. Okay. So it was the second Tobey Maguire movie. Yep. Yep. Is that one where one of the memes comes from? Not really. No. The meme, like, are you thinking of, like, the dancing meme? Because that comes from Spider-Man 3. Okay. It's it's hard because you go through Reddit and there's, like, a... There's a, there's a Sam Raimi who directed all the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. There's, like, a circle jerk of... Um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man fans uh, like okay, how there's yeah, like yeah. a circle jerk of Star Wars prequel fans and it's like yeah you're kind of you're kind of loving something that's a bit shit but alright okay yeah you are going to have to do a lot of dialing your voice down in post oh like I've, I've <laughs> since almost day one have 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 uh, had it in my practice to bump my vocal my vocals my voice down and your voice up this is so a very that, um so that we kind of match. Yeah, this is a very strong symbol just of our relationship in general. Like the sound <laughs> waves on yours are just like off the charts and then mine is barely registering. Yeah, and I feel like your microphone is closer to you as well. Ah! There we go. That's a good rendition of Chris Carabba in the acoustic version of this song. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. What what is your experience with Dashboard Confessional, if any? Uh, History, I should say, not experience. I have uh, basically no experience. I knew about them. Um, They kind of seemed like... uh, They kind of seemed like the sort of, like, emo band that, that the girls loved. Yes. And... And like listening to this, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's pretty delicate and it's, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, he, he, he comes across as showing his emotions without it seeming like, oh, woe is me. You left me. How could you, my heart? How could you not think about my heart? It's very, it's very well thought out kind of emotions. Yeah. And I'm sure it didn't hurt that he's a good looking guy as well, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people get into 
music because people are good looking. I remember going to tape with a guy who was who was such a big Taylor Swift fan, loved her music, and then if like if it was challenged, he would be like, "Oh no, she's hot," but it's like would literally literally owned her discography up until 2012, which was Red, I think. That's ridiculous. But then like, oh no, no, no it's because she's hot. It's like, but you you can't see her hotness when you're listening to the music. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I mean, I remember reading, like, going through magazines and seeing Hayley Williams and being like, oh, she's cute. What's her band like? Yeah. Yeah. And well, then, then moving on from, from the, oh, she's cute and listening to Riot, that sort of thing. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. Unfortunately, optics is a part of music marketing. Mm. Um, and so it does help if you are conventionally attractive. Oh, yeah. As Chris Carabba was back in the day, I guess. Oh, he still is. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of, like, he's very handsome, but he has a very intense visage. Yeah. Like, he has, he has, <laughs> I hate to use this comparison, but he has Ben Shapiro eyebrows. Oh, Jesus. He has the sort of thick, straight, like, heavy set eyebrows. He does have very thick brows. I'd love to think that he is a better human being than Ben Shapiro, though. I'm sure he is. I'm yeah. almost certain he is. Well, um, in Florida, so. Sure. But, like, he has very thick brows and a very thick, very dark-coloured beard. Yeah. But, like, he's of an age where I would have expected that beard to be starting to grey out a bit. Yeah, I mean... It might, or it might, he might be putting a little bit of colour in it. That's what I mean, though. It's like, it looks like a beard that he has dyed very dark. Oh, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I'd love to see if that's what it actually is like, or if it's just like press photos have sort of edited it a bit or something. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess like, as a figure in the emo movement... Of what the two thousands like, it certainly didn't hurt that he was a very handsome young man who also had like sleeves. Yes, like there was a bit of danger to him in the sense of like he can sit through getting sleeves. Yeah, but his face is very soft and pretty. Yeah, and cute, yeah. and his voice is very soft and pretty and cute. Yeah, and like he's somewhat non-threatening in the sense that. He is processing these very strong emotions, but mostly bringing them across like with soft rock, like very sort of pop rock kind of, yeah. Even though they, like Dashboard, were classified as like alternative, like emo, whatever you want to call them, their music did very much sort of cross over into like what you could feasibly hear on the radio. Yeah. And... Yeah, it was very palatable in that sense. And I guess in that sense, it was much more welcoming than, say, a brand new or a fucking, I don't know, Taking Back Sunday, I suppose. Yeah. Where, like, same sorts of feelings and vulnerability being processed there for Taking Back Sunday, at least, because fuck brand new. But, like, they were, like, amped right up compared to Dashboard, I guess. Wait, brand new or boxcar racer? Brand new. Okay. No, I, I I always got brand new on box. Oh no, because box car racer was Tom DeLonge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, brand new is Jesse Lacey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. We don't need to go into Jesse Lacey. We don't fine. talk about brand new anymore. Um, and I'm sure that Dashboard were were featured heavily on MTV in the early 2000s. Yes. I'm, yeah. I, I would have no doubt 
that 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 this song was all over MTV. I think the video that we watched this from was someone had ripped it from MTV. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's no doubt in my mind. I remember when we went to when we went to Bali when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. which I think was the time that Three Cheers for Sweet yeah. Revenge came out, and so like heavy, heavy, heavy rotation on. MTV Indonesia or whatever whatever was Helena and I'm um, not okay, I promise. Like, every day. Apparently, that it was the same in the United States. Like, apparently, yeah. they got a lot of, like, airtime on the likes of TRL and all those shows. Like, But, like, when you're when you're just on holiday. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I watched a lot of television on, on that holiday. Ah, uh, yes, exploring the local culture. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it was sunny and... Hot outside, but I'm in the air-conditioned hotel watching MTV. Um, you know, it's not as grating as if you're going to school and you only get to see that song, you know, maybe once a day. Sure. Yeah. What about you? Did you get into dashboards? There it is. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um, I was never, like, super-duper into... Like, I never had, like, an extensive knowledge of them. Like, I liked them because I knew who they were. I knew that Chris Carabba was, like, one of those figures, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, I own the album Dusk and Summer, and that album is very lovely. Uh, but aside from that, I would say that I mostly got into the hits and not much else. Yeah. But in saying that, like, the hits are very good. Like... I still remember playing Hands Down on, like, youth or, like, student radio when I'd moved to Melbourne. Like, I got into that single particularly late in my tenure, I guess, and then, yeah, being like, oh, this song is so great, when, like, I was technically supposed to be aging out of listening to that kind of music. Yeah. Um. Like, yeah, I do appreciate that sort of vulnerability without the aggression aggression of like screaming and yelling and chugging guitars and that. Um, But I guess like as an adult or more of an adult, I suppose, like it's very easy to get just as cynical about that Mm. because like that in itself can sort of be a bit, um, what's the word? Well, sort of like that thing, oh, I'm not like those other guys. Like, I won't hurt you because, like, I'm very soft and gentle, but still, yeah. I play an acoustic guitar. Well, yeah, it's just that sort of, like, soft boy kind of aesthetic of, like, that can still be damaging in its own way, I guess. I play acoustic because electric is just it's too harsh. It's too harsh. <laughs> Dashboard does play electric, though. Does have electric guitars. I, I fully believe you. Well, you've heard Vindicated. Yeah, I know. Anyway. um, (laughs) I believe you and I believe them. But, yeah. I don't know. It's... I like them. Um, Like, there's something about some of their song structures which is interesting because they don't quite follow that standard, like, A-B-A-B thing. Like, even this song. Like, it sort of has an interesting song structure to me. Um, But I guess that's a good time for us to talk about the song. Yeah. You seem very enthused this week. Yeah. So the song Screaming Infidelities was the first single from their second studio album, The Places You Have Come to Fear Most, 
which was released in 2001. So that wasn't the, the album that you owned, was it? No. no. It originally featured on Swiss Army Romance, I think. Which was an EP? I believe so. Let me have a look. I was skimming an article published on Stereo Gum, written by Patrick D. McDermott in February. Oh, Patty D. Can I please continue? <laughs> uh, in February 2020. And so it was celebrating the 20-year anniversary of this song. Fuck. Um, and, yeah, apparently, like, just long story short, I think. So Dashboard, they originally released the Swiss Army Romance. Um, it then got picked up by Drive Through Records, I think. It originally was... I want to say published. It was originally released or like recorded, released by Fiddler Records, but then someone took it to someone at drive through. It got picked up, but then apparently Chris Carabba wound up making a deal with Vagrant Records over drive through records. And so then like drive through cracked the shits and like stopped distributing the Swiss Army romance. Okay. And so then there was like this thing of like, oh shit, like I don't want to lose those songs. And so then I think they re-recorded the highlights, including Screaming Infidelities and Hands Down, I think. Um, actually, no. Take that last bit back. I was skimming incorrectly. You keep saying Hands Down and I keep thinking Face Down by the Red Jumpsuit no. Apparatus. <laughs> No, hands down is very cute. Like, I know you asked earlier, do you want to put a clip of Vindicated in? And I said, probably not. But now I'm thinking a clip of hands down would be pretty cute because that song is just very, like, classic, quintessential, like, emo yearning. Like, the chorus opens with, like, my hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me, so won't you kill me so I die happy? It's just like, that's... Terrible, but also very cute. Mm. Um, it's just very awkward and very like, yeah, like I brought you a cookie, but I eat it at sort of brand emo yep. feelings. Um, so yeah, long story short, Chris slash Dashboard did another version of Screaming Infidelis that they then released on the next album, which was. So they kind of did a Taylor Swift before Taylor Swift. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Not doing and not doing entire albums, but like choice cuts. Yeah. 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 Which you see a lot in like this scene anyway, or like the alternative punk hardcore sort of metal kind mm-hmm. of scene with which with bands recording demos, maybe not using the best equipment or 
Yeah. With the best producer, and then they will do like another, they'll do an album, and then they'll put on some of the songs from that EP. Yeah. They'll re record some of the songs from that EP or whatever. Yeah, like even Fallout Boy, they recorded Evening Out with Your Girlfriend as like one of their early releases. And that's one of those albums where. If you know, you know, like you have it in your collection, but I think even the band is just like, yeah, nah, like that was cringe. And mm. so I think that had Calm Before the Storm on it and they re-recorded that and then put it on Take This to Your Grave. Um, so yeah, lots of like avenues to do like redos and stuff, which I fully endorse. Yeah. 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 I Even if it's not just to, even if it's not even like, oh, let's make this song better, but like hey, I had a, have an idea to let's do like a disco version of this song or whatever. Yeah. Like that's, you know, I I never listen to it, but I always appreciate when an album has like, and then this song was remixed by a different DJ or someone. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I appreciate that. Again, I don't listen to it, but I appreciate it. I think like having listened to a lot of music, like just, Having listened to a lot of music, like listening to a lot of pop singers and stuff like in the 90s and 2000s, I do tire a lot of like how pop singers in particular will do like, here's a deluxe version of the album that has like five to ten different remixes of the single from this album. Mm. And it's just like, I truly do not have an ear to sort of distinguish why this is useful or like why this is important yeah if that makes sense like i might be a cretinous bastard but i and again it's it happens a lot in metal you'll get like say if you buy an album that's like 30 years old yeah like like a lot of the i think all the death albums have like reissues and like so you'll get like all the songs instrumentals um and then you'll get like the demo recordings which is like Oh, cool. So you want me to listen to, like... The, the shit version. The really <laughs> shit, like, practice version of this song. Yeah. Why would I... Why I I, I, I get it for, like, collectors. That's... Like, yeah. I get it for people who can sort of sift through that, but I... I don't. Yeah. I, I don't... I don't get it for myself. Like, I would rather listen to this in its best possible quality. Yeah. I think... I'm the same, like, unless you were, say, a DJ in the case of, like, those bazillion remixes of a single, or you are, like, a completionist in terms of, like, I need to have every single iteration of this yeah. because I care so deeply about this brand, brand band and, like, their body of work. It doesn't really... Like, I can't think of... Like, I love to have a band's B-sides, like, and to li have listened to those because that's a different song. Yeah. But I don't... Like, I remember even for, like, My Chemical Romance, their 10-year anniversary of the Black Parade, where, like, Warner just handled it so badly and made a release oh, video. Yeah, where, you, where you thought that they were getting back together. Yeah. <laughs> and it just... They had to be like, yes, yeah, Soz, guys. Like, that wasn't the intention. Like, whoops. Um, But, yeah, they have, like, a demo version of... The Black Parade, Welcome to the Black Parade on, like, the anniversary edition of that CD. And, like, it's an interesting exercise in terms of hearing what the song began as, but that doesn't make me, like, 
and I'm saying this as someone who loves My Chemical Romance, I'm just like, that's like it's interesting, but that's where it stops. Yeah, why why should you be enticed to buy an album that you already own? Yeah, true. As well, like yeah, you own that, you know that album inside and out. Why you have to do something pretty special to make you want to buy it again? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Nostalgia, cult- nost- nostalgia culture is very interesting. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, a billion dollar industry. Shall we continue with this song? <laughs> we got sidetracked. So the song is considered the band's breakout single as it reached number 22 on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart in May of 2002. 2000. Yeah, I was going to say 22. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's a little bit late. Uh, so the song was written by Chris Carabba and produced by J- uh, James Paul Weisner, who has worked with Paramore, IC Stars, Under Oath, and former guests of the podcast, Hands Like Houses. True. So the music video was directed by Maureen. Oh, I didn't get a last name. Fuck's sake. <laughs> you know Maureen. Maureen. The, the lady that lives down the street, you yeah, know her. Yeah, Moors. Moorsy, we love her. Oh, fuck, I'm going to have to pause for a sec. <laughs> Don't know. I'll just vamp. It's fine. Okay. So, old mate Maureen, we'll get a clarification on the name, has directed music videos for a number of punk and alternative songs, including At Your Funeral by Saves of the Day, which is an excellent song. Um, Shame About the Front Man. Am I right? Um, You are not wrong. Stupid Kid by Alkaline Trio. Great band. Shame that Matt Skiba's so weird. Um, he can be weird. He can be weird, but not. But like, I, I don't care if he's weird as long as he's not problematic. I'm just. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop oh, with him, okay. just because he tends to associate himself with very weird shit. Like, he he collects like lots of interesting like memorabilia and stuff, like including like Nazi. He, well, yeah, like a lot of his stuff is sort of veering towards like Nazi stuff, and everyone's just like, dude, what the fuck. And he's like, it's history. Like, it's interesting. How dare you? Um, allegedly, because I don't know if I'm being entirely factual about this. But, like, he's just, he's an interesting character. Like, I think he's one of these ones who's quite happy to look past the morality of something for the aesthetic of it. Yeah. And it's just like, but, like, you can't discount the history behind something. Uh, real quick, it's Maureen Egan. Maureen Egan. There we go. Um. Yeah, like, look, Motorhead is a beloved band and Lemmy is a beloved vocalist. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Uh, he also very willingly and very happily wore Nazi clothes. I just, I don't, I hate that. And I really hate that. And I don't, I don't believe he was racist. I don't believe, like, very strongly believe that he... He wasn't a Nazi sympathizer or anything, but he said his his justification was, yeah, they had the better clothes. And it's like, well, no. okay, that's fine, but maybe, like, I don't know, wear something fucking else. Because you're still wearing the clothes of people that killed millions of people. Especially just because I imagine that he was doing that when, like, fascism was starting to resurge, I guess. And, like white nationalists yeah. and stuff. It's like, bud, like, yeah. you don't get to pick and choose aesthetics over the meaning of said aesthetics. Yep. 
I'm not going to walk around with like a fucking swastika on my t-shirt because like, oh, but look at the angles. It's so interesting. Yeah. And like, if you flip it the other way, like it's technically a good luck symbol. Like, no, you don't get to just fucking disregard a really awful, terrible history behind something because like, oh, but as a statement, look how cool it looks. And like, I think as well, when you, when you look at it, like potentially like, He's wearing that and a skinhead could look at him wearing an SS uniform and be like, oh, Lemmy's cool then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't want those people thinking you're cool. Like, for me, even, like, there have been times where I've been tempted to get something along the line. Like, I know that there's been the re-updated versions of, like, Nazi punks fuck off. Like, yeah. I think Napalm Death has a version of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've been tempted to get that sort of merch slash just gear, whatever. Yeah. But, but even having, like, a swastika with a no sign, that's too much for it's me. It's still... I don't want to be wearing something that is that aggressive. It's still a shirt with a swastika on it. Is, it is. Yeah. Even if it's got the correct message, it's just, like, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. Like, just distance yourself from it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my thing about Matt Skeeber is I feel like one day he's going to have just, like, a full-blown swastika on his wall and it'll be like, oh, but it just looks cool. And everyone will be like, are you fucking kidding me, mate? Like, he collects paintings by Marilyn Manson and... Like, he just, he quite enjoys that sort of shock art. Mm. And there's just, yeah, there's a certain line where it stops being like, oh, okay, I see what you mean about the way that this sort of provokes people, and then it's just like, you're just being an asshole. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Anyway. That's why I just collect books. <laughs> a non-controversial <laughs> I thought you were going to, like, drop something really disturbing. That's why I only collect, like... Baby skulls. Yeah. And it's just like, what? No. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the music video for Screaming Infidelities won the MTV2 award at the 2002 MTV VMAs, beating out Nora Jones, The Strokes, Music Soul Child, The Hives, and Nappy Roots. I have no idea why this video won. It's so fucking boring. It's so boring. Yeah. It. The only thing that's notable about it is that it has a... I don't know when he started to age, like, because it seems like he's, he basically reached his age and hasn't. It has a, a younger Aaron Paul from Breaking yeah. Bad fame. But it's um, just boring. It would have been at the time that he had, like, a brief appearance in when he's starting out in the first Van Wilder movie. <laughs> so, like, sorry, um, Maureen, but, like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, I'd be interested to watch those other ones um, that she did. Yeah. It's not the... I'm trying to remember what the Saves the Day film clip is from Mum through Being Cool. I can't remember what song it's for, but it's like... It is kind of delightful because it's just them playing at like a house party uh, and just like yeah. everyone's just sort of like hands in their pockets kind of like very awkwardly. Like I think they must have all been teenagers just at their yeah. first party with this band playing and it's just... It's very... And, like, it does look like it's just filmed on someone's camcorder. Yeah. 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 It has a very delightful aesthetic to it. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think it's that song. I'm pretty certain. I'm sure that this probably won out because the song was quite hyped at the time. Yeah. Like, it's like the video is fine, but it doesn't give me any added value. Yeah, it's, it is interesting with, like, music video awards, like, how much of it is is influenced by how popular the song was. Yeah. As opposed to how good the actual music video is. Yeah. This is this is why I want to do a music video. 
like Patreon exclusive, so I can sort of deep dive further into this. Yeah. Yeah. The only caveat is you don't want to do it on a podcast because this is a not a visual medium. But I wouldn't be able to play the music video. If you did like a Twitch stream or something. Yeah. I'd probably get copyright struck though. Um, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what do you think of this song? The original. It's good. Yep. Um, like I was saying earlier, I just find it interesting. Like it takes a long time to reach the payoff of like the chorus. Mm. Um, which is just, to me, it's an interesting format because like when I think about it now, for instance, hands down, like their other, or like one of their other bigger singles, the payoff for that one comes very quickly. Like it's just very sort of like short verse and then chorus. Like it's interesting the way that Chris sort of plays around with structure in that sense, because yeah, like reading the stereo gum um, or audio Jesus article that I was reading before like, this is definitely a fan favourite. This is one where it's like, this would definitely be like a highlight at a dashboard show. Like, it's sort of sing-along kind of thing. Mm. Um, especially just like the pacing of like, the your hair is everywhere. Like, it does have a very sing-songy sort of setup. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting the way that he sort of plays with structure a bit and it isn't just standard like, Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like it. Like, it's not my favourite dashboard song slash single by any stretch, but I like it for what it represents of the m- movement slash scene at the time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like there could be a real tension to the the chorus like to then give you this like really big payoff this sort of like cathartic moment but it kind of doesn't do that and almost like like the way that the kind of percussion sort of starts then stops as the chorus comes in as well yeah. so it's almost like it's almost like it's almost like a traffic jam and then all of a sudden like oh then everything's out like <laughs> yeah. everyone's out yeah. Or like, yeah, releasing water from like a balloon or something. It's, it's, it, it just sort of, yeah, it goes along. Um, I don't know. Like I'd be, it, it's interesting when, when we've, and I feel like we have covered it sometimes like where a, a band does an acoustic cover of basically an acoustic song. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I. I appreciate that this was done at the time, like more than 15 years after the song was recorded. Like that might almost be like our, our oldest, not a original song, um, because, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's like not... that's probably like the furthest distance from the original versus the cover. Yeah. Well, in terms of, um, in terms of like the acoustic covers. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, because, like, we've covered stuff from, like, the 70s before. Yeah. But, like, I know what you mean in terms of, like, this probably has one of the most significant gaps between that original release and when the artist revisited it for Pongo's Acoustic. Yeah. 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 And also just, like, not... Like, we've we've also done bands that were around that time, but 
it also like it is kind of surprising to be like, oh wow, this is this is an original punk song. Yeah. From like two thousand one, like twenty years ago. Yeah. And like I was twelve. It's nuts. Like it really upsets me, but also it, it's quite a lovely feeling as well that like we're getting to that age where we are having like the 15 year, 20 year, 25 year anniversary celebrations of like pivotal records and songs for us. Um, like it freaks me out, but also it's like, I kind of love that we are at that stage now. Cause I remember observing that about like the music my parents listened to and being like, Oh, that's so weird. Like that's going to be ages away. And it's like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. Surprise. You're here. Yeah. But I kind of like that because it's like, it's evidence that we exist. Yeah. Like the white hairs that are starting to form in my facial hair. Time just moves on whether you want it to or not. Unless you're Chris Karama, apparently. Yeah. Maybe he's a vampire. Maybe. He did have a pretty gnarly motorcycle accident a couple of years ago. Last year. Yeah, last year. That's right. Um, Which is pretty fucked. Yeah, I think he... Fucked up both of his shoulders or something. Yeah, so. I think he had to do like pretty intense rehab for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember seeing that and just being like, oof, like, again, just those reminders that like we are getting older and more fallible. Like, yeah. Between that and like Mark Hoppus with the cancer diagnosis and like, that's the bit, like, that's sort of the other side of the coin of this whole observation that terrifies me is like, there's going to be that day where we wake up and, like, one of our music idols has died. And it's just going to be like, oh, shit. Mm. Um, but until then, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, so I am just looking at this Stereo Gum article again. And I'm annoyed because, like, I'm waiting on this book to arrive in the mail. But Andy Greenwald's Nothing Feels Good. Like, he sort of does a deep dive into this whole scene. Like... I'm interested in reading that and we'll probably be like, ah, shit, we should have waited until after I'd read this to do this episode, but that's fine. I wasn't to know. Like, apparently he does do a bit of a deep dive into Dashboard and he describes Screaming Infidelities as the, quote, strangest hit single in quite some time. And I think, like, I like that because I think that's the thing is, like, there were those few sort of breakthrough bands and songs from like the music I listen to at least I won't say we because you weren't really listening to this kind of stuff but like yeah I do remember like that feeling of like it did feel as if those like more popular bands and songs and that they were crossing over into like territory that we didn't quite relate to or understand there was that sort of protective feeling around it or like like, oh, but we knew them first. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still... They still fit in this really weird space for me because it's not quite... I mean, it's not musically, like, too similar to emo. Yeah. Yet it's not like... Like, if I was to, if I was to think... If you told me, like, an acoustic... A, a rock band doing an acoustic song... In the early 2000s, I would be imagining full-on butt rock. Yeah. For some, like, like when, when butt rock bands do their softer songs. True, yeah. Like, they always had them. Um, and they're not that either. 
Like, not at all like that. So it's like, what space do they fill? And that's not necessarily me asking you, but it's just like, I don't know. They're, they're, it really is quite a quite a strange hit single. I think, yeah, it's just like similar to Dashboard's entire catalogue or discography, whatever you want to call it. Like they def like they still captured that very specific mindset that their peers did. So like they were singing about the same things as the other bands that like emo kids and that were listening to. It's just the execution was more pop driven, I guess. Mm. Or like it was just softer, I suppose. And so Maybe in that sense, like, it had more reach in terms of, like, these guys fell more into the likes of, like, a Death Cab for Cutie or... Yeah. Something like where they sort of captured maybe people who were a bit more mature than the rest of us who were just, like, fully in it. And I don't say that to diss, like, my teenage self or anything, but, like, this did sort of... This has more reach than, for example, like a My Chemical Romance single, for example. Like, I can imagine a few different, like, types of people listening to it as opposed to very squarely, like, emo kid. Mm. Uh, Yeah. What diss would you throw at your younger self? (laughs) It's a bit mean. I'd tell myself to pull up my fucking pants. <laughs> below below the butt isn't a look. <laughs> um, I think you don't I, have to. You, you honestly no, don't have I to like do this. The, I like this question. I would just tell my. Oh, I was gonna say I'd tell my teenage self to like stop focusing on like worrying about boys and just yeah. Do, but then same for me, boys. Ha ha. But then like that would have completely changed my trajectory because I probably wouldn't have met you. Mm. So all's well that ends well. I think, yeah, similar vein for me, it would be don't look at every... Don't look at every girl that comes across your path as a potential girlfriend. Yeah. Which I did for a while as a as a teenager. Yeah. So. And I think, like, that's kind of what being a slightly less well-adjusted teenager was all about, though. Yeah. And that's where, like, the likes of Dashboard and that made very specific sense to me because a lot of the material that Chris writes about is just very specific moments of, like, be it, like, those vignettes of, like, reacting to a breakup or those moments of, like, the anticipation of building up to, like, a possible relationship or a possible make-out session. Like, Mm. he is very... (laughs) Like, a lot of his songs do focus on, like, just very... What could be just sort of... Not even mundane, but just, like, very everyday moments of, like, being young and in love. But the way he writes about them is quite sweet. So I guess, like, he sort of validated a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, even in this song, like, you've got... Like, where are the lyrics? Like, just little things like, your hair is everywhere. Like, obviously he's broken up with someone. He's finding, like, strands of her hair, like, on his pillow or whatever. And he sort of runs that to, like, it's 
end point of like, but you're not here and I'm going to like agonize over yeah. it. And like, I guess in that sense, it was nice to have that sort of more inward, well, not inward facing because it was all fucking inward facing, but like that more vulnerable side of breakup music as opposed to, I hope you fucking die. Yeah. And like, and, and it's cause you're allowed to be sad when you, when you've broken up. Yeah. And, and sometimes it is the girl that does the breaking up. Like, but I'm just saying like, he, he has a very level headed way of looking at it. It isn't, you're right. It isn't. And I now hope that you fucking die or I'm going to kill you or I'm going to kill you and myself. Yeah. Like, it's just, I'm sad at this fucking moment. And I keep seeing things that remind me of you and it sucks. And, like, look, there are some kind of creepy overtones in the way that he handles things because, like, it can sort of fall too far into that territory of, like, I hope you are well, I hope you're happy with the new guy, and I'm never going to stop agonising over it. And it's kind of like, buddy, you need to move on. Like, even just in the early, like, in the first verse, so, like... I'm cuddling close to blankets and sheets, but you're not alone and you're not discreet. Make sure I know who's taking you home. I guess that's like, I don't know, in like 2021, that would probably mean like, oh yeah, she's probably posting. On Instagram. And it's just like, that's her right. Yep. You don't own her anymore. (laughs) She's not doing that as a fuck you to you necessarily. She's just living her life. She's getting on with her life. But then again, if you'd spoken to, I don't know, 18... 19 year old me i would have been like no it's it's so mean how could he move on like that it's just like well because he's a person and he has every right to do what he wants with himself it's kind of like the way you did a 180 on 500 days of summer yeah and i reckon you did the 180 the first time that you showed me yeah 500 days of summer because you were like oh it's so sad that she she just can't love him yeah and then like watching it like Oh, wait, but that's also her right to not love him. (laughs) Like, and again, that's probably, and I guess this is why I will always sort of have a sort of cautious affection for this kind of music, because, like, this carried me through those moments when, like, not this song specifically, but, like, all of those kind of ugly, sad boy songs carried me through moments where, like, I wasn't at my best because I was still young I was recovering from relationships that weren't good for me for whatever reason. And then, yeah, when you do reanalyze is what I was going to say, reanalyze (laughs) songs and media and stuff when you are in a secure relationship, you can sort of go like, that's not healthy. Like, because, yeah, I fell in love with 500 Days of Summer when I was dating a guy who was quite shit, to put it mildly. Like, broke my heart and... We shouldn't have been together in the first place. And so it was easy for me to sort of buy into the wrong side of that story. But then watching it with you, it was like, ah, oh, I see now that the whole point of it was reversed. Mm. But because I'm on the other side of the narrative now and I can see that, it's just like, ah, oh, how interesting. <laughs> Missing your bed, I'll never sleep Avoiding the spots where we'd have to speak And this bottle of beast is taking me home I'm cuddling close to blankets 
and sheets, but you're not alone, and you're not discreet. Make sure I know who's taking you home. I'm reading your note over again, and that's not a word that I comprehend. Except when you signed it, I will love you always and forever. Do you think that the cover is interesting? I fucking hate the cover. It's boring. It has two modes. He's either really yeah, whispering, or he's shouting the lyrics. And he, I think this is, I could be wrong, but from the acoustic cause of causes, Jesus, the acoustic covers I've heard of Dashboard Confessionals songs that he has done because it's usually just Chris. Um, it's like this is how he treats like I guess because dashboard is already sort of like low energy yeah you have to take it a step down and so it ends up being even lower energy it's, it's you can't scrape it off the floor yeah like it's it's melted into the carpet and this I think like this level of dashboard is the level that gives me the shits because yeah. it's just fully like... Don't hurt me. I'm so yeah. small. And it's like he's whispering how she's not being discreet because, like, he's he's singing the song, like, while he's in her closet watching yeah. her with the boyfriend. <laughs> like, it's like... Like, he, collecting, like, strands of hair yeah. and, like, stuffing them in his pocket before he, like, jumps out the window. Yeah. And then when he starts yelling, that's when he's being caught and he's running away. Like, it's... It is kind of creepy. I... I this version, it, it's... No good. And I think this is the thing of like, I feel like I'm sort of doing that thing where like I'll accidentally think half a sentence in my head and then finish it out loud and you'll say, wait, what? And I'll go, oh, whoops, sorry. Or when I will start a sentence halfway through. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, hang on, were you supposed to, like, were we having a conversation before? (laughs) Like, oh, we weren't. But like, this is one of the interesting qualities for me about a lot of the music and bands and whatnot that I grew up with is there is definitely some element of cringe in aging with these songs. Yeah. Cause like these songs don't read as well when you're older and you're more well adjusted. Like you can still hold a candle to them in the sense that they were there for you when you needed them, when you were also younger and not as well adjusted. But like, when this is probably a man in now his 40s. And you're still trotting out these songs about, like, screaming infidelities and, like... Yeah. You have to sort of be very self-assured and able to laugh at yourself because there's something kind of uncomfortable about revisiting that. Yeah. When, ideally, you should be well past that sort of mentality. Or at least, like, you've had time to, like, health, like healthily process things that happened to you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know whether he should have done... And I'm... Am I... Would I be correct in assuming that basically Dashboard Confessional, even though it started off as this side project, but, like, is it basically just Chris Carabba now? Yeah. I think, like, I don't think it was ever marketed as, like, 
and the bass guitar is this guy, and the guitarist yeah. is this. Like, I think it was just it was him as dashboard confessional. Yeah. Um. Like, I don't know if if he could have maybe even used a lot of it, but still updated it in a way to be mm. like. But even that's kind of sad to be like, hey, I've moved on. And it's like, well, she moved on before you, dude. So it's kind of pathetic that you're now having to tell her that you've moved on. I also, yeah, like I sort of... Yeah. I've been thinking about this a bit in terms of like Taylor Swift's, like Taylor's versions of things, which we touched on earlier. Like, because a bit of context, like Taylor Swift released Red, Taylor's version, just last month. Red is the album I got into Taylor on. I was obviously in a different place when I was listening to Red as a slightly younger version of myself. Mm-hmm. Re-listening to it, like, I still love that album. Again, you age out of things and you notice, like, oh, that was actually kind of an odd song or, like, that lyric choice is quite immature when you think about the fact that a 19-year-old wrote it or, like, 20 or whatever. And now a 32-year-old is re-recording it. Yeah. yeah. And so, like... Sorry, I th- I'll say a 32-year-old who seems to be in a very happy relationship yes. at this point in and that's life. Yeah, and this is why I find these sorts of exercises so interesting is obviously those original songs and that will be special to Taylor and to her fans for their own reasons. You then... And, like, it's different in the case of, like this exercise that Taylor is doing, like she's basically just reclaiming her masters by re-recording them. So I don't know if that means she can necessarily change a lot about them. Cause like the idea is you want to have the song in its intended iteration so you can then keep it. Yep. At least I think that's what the whole point is. Um, but like in addition to like releasing red, so all too well was like one of the like sort of, <sighs> I want to say underground, but that's not the right word. But, like, that's, like, a fan favourite. Because, like, it's talking about, like, the demise of a relationship and it's very sad and very beautiful and very whatever. But, like, she also released a 10-minute version of All Too Well that had ended up being, like... (sighs) Best way to put it would be, like, sort of fan lore or, like, folklore about Taylor. It's like, oh, and apparently, like, there was a 10-minute version when she wrote this song. And, like, imagine if we got to hear it one day and then, like, surprise, we do. And, like, the more I listen to it, like, I love that version now. But I remember the first time I was listening to it, I was like, this kind of makes me uncomfortable because it's it's releasing feelings and, like, it's sort of tapping back into the mentality of someone way younger than Taylor is now mm. and, like, offering, like essentially a reinterpretation of the song that wouldn't ring true with Taylor today. And there's sort of an element of like, that made me somewhat uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then at the same time, like I appreciate that Taylor sort of has tapped into that and look, it's earned her a shit ton of money as well. So like good for her, but like, I do appreciate when artists can sort of tap into that discomfort to trot out the fan favourite, even though their mentality might have shifted because that's remaining true to who you were at the time and ultimately, like, 
there's a reason why you wrote that song about that person that broke your heart or you wrote that thing about that person who did you wrong. And, like, even though it's very easy to say, like, oh, we all need to be a bit more mature. Like, if you're at a time where you're not mature, that doesn't mean your art is less valid, if Mm. that makes sense. Am I making any kind of sense? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I've been talking about this with friend of the pod, Richard. Like, I'd love to... Richard S. He, I should say. I'd love to get these thoughts out on paper because I do sort of grate with this idea like probably more so than other people because I was that cringe person who I had my heart broken and just like became a version of myself I probably wouldn't recognize now because it was just so cringe. Yeah. But also that's because I was someone hurt me and I was processing that. Yeah. And I shouldn't delegitimize that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird, like, revisiting all of these songs that people like me leaned on when they were at their worst because this is still a somewhat universal experience that should still ring true. But then when you're an adult, you do realise there is an element of, like, oof, like, mm. I don't know how I feel about this. I think the thing of, like, being maybe even, like, slightly embarrassed about how we used to be is- an indicator that we've grown up or that we've changed. Yeah, we've that's matured. true. But then the the negative side to that is overthinking it. Absolutely. And beating yourself up over the person that you were yeah. as a teenager when you weren't fully developed emotionally and mentally and That's true, yeah. You know, I yeah, like I'm I'm the same. Like I I was probably terrible to be dumped on. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. I I fully understand that. This has been my therapy corner. This is, this is Dr. Fraser Crane. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. I I don't actually. I feel like I should say I don't have a doctorate in anything. So, except thugonomics. Ex- um, can I ask the ten minute version of that song? Is it possible that that was made ten minutes purely to? feed into a 10-minute short film, which was the film clip? Um, possibly. Yeah. Well, the short film's closer to 15 minutes because they also have, like, dialogue and shit outside. Oh, yeah, that's the... right. But I, like... I remember the argument about um, he, he treating her differently around his friends. Yeah. And, like, I must admit, like, I... And, again, this isn't a Taylor Swift pod, even though I could very easily make it one, but, like... I must admit, I did meet the 10-minute version with a hopefully healthy dose of cynicism because it's like she basically brought to life something that we knew existed in theory. We don't know how much of that she brought to life to meet our expectations. Mm -hmm. Sort of like when you hear about bands and they had like, oh, and there's like an album they recorded but never released. It's sort of like Schrodinger's album. Like it sort of, it exists, but then when it is like, if... I don't know. I think my chem had an album or something that they never re- like. I can't remember, but like, if they were like, if those bands that have those like lost albums were ever to actually record and release that lost album, is that the same lost album that we were talking about back in the day, or have they sort of played off that idea to produce something that is meeting our expectations of that album? Um. Uh. Uh, an example of that that I can think of is the Melbourne 
oh, I don't even know what their what their like subgenres would be, but it's like death metal, grindcore, whatever outfit, blood duster. Mm-hmm. Um, released an album, but with every pressing, they scratched the hell out of it. Oh my so god! So that nobody could actually listen to it. Oh, fuck that. For all we know, it's just a blank record that they've scratched the shit out of. And that's the thing. You don't know. But it could be this thing that, like, holds all of this amazing music and you just can't listen to it. And and that's when you said Schrodinger's yeah. album made me think of that because it's like... It simultaneously exists and doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, they didn't... I don't think they've... There's no MP3 or anything out there of it. It's just this album that, that got released that nobody could listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how many... I don't know how many releases they put out. Like it was probably like a few thousand. Yeah. Um. Because like they've they've got a little bit of notoriety, like worldwide notoriety. But I think they split up like four years ago anyway. Okay. So, but yeah, I remember reading about that and being like, that I look art is subjective, and some people could look at that and go, oh yeah, it's a symbolism of this. To me, that seems like a huge waste of time. On everyone's part. On everyone's part. Especially theirs. Oh, no, I think the person who would get it the most is... Although, I guess the producer would at least get paid. Yeah, it's true. Unless it was one of them that produced it. And, like, the people who pressed it would still get paid. Yeah, that's true. To do it all. You know? So, yeah, probably just theirs. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, like, this all sort of ultimately feeds into this idea of, like... I don't know, when you do these acoustic covers of, like, these songs that you released at a pivotal moment in your life, in your career, you're sort of reviving something that, like, it hasn't died, but, like, you're reviving a version of yourself that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Or, like, only partially exists in the current version of you. And so I do find that, like, even though I find, for example, like, the acoustic version of this song kind of insufferable... I appreciate it for the exercise that it is because this is, like we said earlier, one of the ones where there was a fairly significant amount of distance between when it first existed and when it got revived. Yeah. And so, like, I guess unless it's sort of like how, I don't know, like how Hayley Williams doesn't like misery business anymore for, like, valid reasons. Yeah. Even though there is, like, some sort of cringy element sometimes to the songs that we trot out for that nostalgia factor... I do like that it still keeps happening because it's tapping into like the younger version of ourselves and giving it legitimacy. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there is the potential for revisionist history though. And to be like, yeah. Oh yeah. I really was the victim there. Whereas, yeah. Like, you know, you probably won't. You just got dumped. Like, that's yeah. I guess that's a good, like I hope that when people go and see dashboard confessional in, I think, He's been doing shows this year, maybe. But, like, when they go see Dashboard in 2021 or 2022 or, I don't know, fingers crossed in 2023, 24, when things are a bit more balanced. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Like, I hope that the adult fans that are there are sort of holding space for who they used to be but without sort of justifying, like, the shitty bits. Yeah. And I hope that that's what Chris is doing when he does that. Yeah. Because, yeah, we do need to acknowledge that we were these sort of weird kids that then sort of got our shit together and grew up and got a bit more, um, I guess, 
mature about how we handled our feelings versus other people's feelings. But yeah, hopefully this is sort of done with like that element of like, ah, this is kind of embarrassing, but remember this song, like, because I think it's okay to have that sort of affection for it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we are ones that, uh, we fully endorse, uh, being endearing. I am cringe, but I am free. Yeah. I am cringe, but I am free. We should make that a shirt. It's already a meme, unfortunately. Ah, god damn it. Hell yeah or yeah nah? A very soft hell yeah to the original, and an even softer hell no to the cover. Hell no. I mean, yeah nah to the cover. I'm going to say hell yeah for all of it, just because I like the exercise of revisiting these very emotionally loaded songs. Yeah. Um, what is being revisited is once again, we are in December of another year. So get ready for a couple of weeks of Christmas songs. Yeah. This year, like Christmas just feels further away than ever, even though it's like fucking Speak for yourself. 21 days away. It feels like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 21 tomorrows, I guess. Well, oh, that's my pop punk band name. 21 tomorrows. Like... I feel like it. I feel like that works. It's got a number in it, and it kind of doesn't make sense. This has been screaming infidelities. <laughs>